good on here. All right, you guys ready? Yep. Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant content from the field in the classroom each month. Episodes of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com. So head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me today is Dan and Holly. Guys, welcome. Say hello. Hi, Steve. Have you. Hello. It's good to be back. We're back. We're, uh, we're shooting for an episode a month this year. That's yeah. The, uh, that's the hope. Yeah. We're going to do been, it. It's been tough. It has. And here we are. COVID was tough. January Jobs 6th. are tough. Yeah. Do you think like coming back from COVID was tough? Because it, w- it was like we didn't do anything, and then suddenly we started doing all the things again. Yeah. It's been and a tough transition. And like companies and people weren't ready for that like quick rebound. No. You know? Or and parents. So, or parents. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Oh, my gosh. All the sporting events and oh, kids' activities. All the people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we got a fun episode today. We're going to be talking. So. I think it'll be good about basically the multitude of ways. We're going to hit on a few of them, not all of them, but some really good ways to set yourself up for success. And we've got some examples of why these lessons should be learned, and hopefully, you guys can learn from our mistakes and our um, some people who've shared their stories with us. Mistakes that I'm going to go over today, and I'm also excited to hear about a couple of these. Primarily this one checklist that you guys have that you want to go over that you guys helped develop. Yeah. For your previous agency. Previous. Yeah. Awesome. All right, All right here we go. So um, I want to talk about cardiac arrest because back on, oh boy, it's how long ago was our chat with Joe Powell from Probably Rialto Fire? A year and a half ago, maybe? I would say that. So he's now time. retired. Um, and he actually told us after our episode with him that he was soon to be retiring um and let's see that was september 8th 2020 oh. yeah that 2020 was, that was when the episode launched wow so, that's a long time ago yeah my life okay. is just slipping away yeah <laughs> we're here though barely <laughs> <laughs> so that um uh, podcast with him really motivated me to get some some stuff in gear in our department. And so I took a bunch of his data and... and just um, reminding people again that he yeah. does the heads-up CPR. Yeah. So the Rialto fire model is something that I believe is constantly being tweaked. So it's, you know, it's always under revision because they're trying to find, if I could summarize it, the best combination yeah. of new treatments and, you know, treatment modalities to get the best, you know, neurologically intact survival mm-hmm. rate or the Utstein criteria or Utstein, I don't know how you pronounce it, but um, actually I'm going to, while we're on the podcast, I'm going to see if I can Google Utstein? any changes. No, oh. any changes that I'm all the old It's kind of fun to say. Um, it sounds like done. a beer. It, where we're working, where Holly and I are working, we're moving to the heads up here pretty soon mm-hmm. with some variations, obviously, but yeah, that's where... That's where the the movement's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, we just so to kind of back up a little bit after that uh, that interview with him, um, I had already been looking at a lot of the Rialto Fire stuff because I was tasked with putting a bunch of changes to the way we do cardiac arrest. We were kind of stuck in the pit crew CPR model, which is great. I mean, right. you still got to have that because right. um, you have to have 
you know, known uh, roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Yep. And those have to be clear, right? And you only get there by having a plan in place and by training on that and everything else. Um, but the the way we were approaching cardiac arrest wasn't changing much more than, you know, ACLS with a pit crew CPR a component attached to it. And so, you know, it, it's hard not to pay attention to a department that is throwing out numbers like 71%. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, cardiac survivability rate. It's amazing. Um, when looking at the Utzgen criteria with their, uh, with the way that they approach it. So, um, I went to our department uh, managers and said, hey, this is what I'd love to lead the charge on and see if we can get some things put in place. And uh, there was some hesitation for sure, um, but I got the right people convinced, I would say. And then from there, it was a slow process of getting it um, pieced together and kind of building a team to help train our department and get some things set up. But um, one of the things I remembered most was, you know, when I first started um, in like 2006 uh, timeframe with EMS, I remember watching certain paramedics run a cardiac arrest call and see it was, they, they were following ACLS, but some, you know, we had a couple that were like right near retirement and they would revert back to the ACLS they learned, you know, it, 10, 15 long, years. Long shock, shock, right? shock. Yeah. Everybody shock. Yeah. Uh, you know, hanging manitol. It's like, dude, right. they don't carry that drug. Anymore. It's like, oh yeah, shoot. Um, and so um, I just remember thinking, shoot, shouldn't this be this a little more organized, you know? And I'm a very, you know, anal retentive type person. I like bullet points. I right. like checklists. Well, I didn't know that about you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't like uh, disorganization and, you know, not having a plan. That gives me anxiety. So I got, uh, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. Um, but I got, uh, I got this buy-in and we, we created these, um, these steps kind of thing that was based off of the Rialto fire model um, at our local uh, fire department. And so I'm going to pull that up real quick. But uh, we start, so first off, one of the things that, you know, and this is not a, we are not sponsored by Zoll in any way, shape, or form, but hey, Zoll Medical, if you guys want to throw us some cash, we would absolutely (laughs) uh, take it and sell your products more. But um, one of the things we did was we went to, an all Zoll system, so Zoll ventilators, the auto pulse devices, the X series monitors, um, and so that kind of whether it's Zoll or Physio or whatever you know system you're with, I think it's important that it just seems like things work better when you stay in one ecosystem. Absolutely, it's mm-hmm. a great um, idea. You know, it's like you don't see a lot of people mixing and matching Mac and PC. You know, right, kind of stuff. Right, but um, so we created these steps, and I'm going to go over them here in a second. But I was curious what you guys, you know, what do you remember? What you're, you're with the new agency you're with? Tell me what what they're doing with cardiac arrest response. Well, we're definitely not any on any type of uh, uh, cardiac checklist yet. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing like that. I mean, some of the places up here aren't even at the pit crew approach. Yeah. Step yet? Yeah, I've seen that too. You know, which is, I mean, like when I started back in the day where you just kind of all stand around saying, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And um, 
Uh, we are going to the heads up. Uh, variation. There'll be some different things than, than Rialto did, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. They're seeing the, the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not have a checklist yet, but really anxious to see yours and see if we can move it forward. Yeah, I might just send you mine. Yeah. See what yeah, you that'd can be awesome. Build off of that. Um, so we start, currently we have an eight-step model. It took us um, switching uh, physician advisors and, <laughs> to do that. and EMS chiefs to get to the 10-step model. Uh, so the 10-step model is uh, in the works. It's already been created, but as far as it, you know, adopting it and putting it in play, is that's kind of where we're at currently. So um, with that, we start with step one, manual CPR. We show up on a scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start pumping on someone's chest. Obviously, no different there. High-quality compressions, 100, 120-minute. Move on to placing the stat pads. Um, and the interesting thing about Zolt is their packaging – for adults, recommends anterior-posterior placement. However, they say it'll still work, you know, top right shoulder, uh-huh. bottom left on the side. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, they recommend anterior-posterior with their pads, which I don't think the other um, ones that I've seen, at least I never paid attention to it if they did, but I don't remember ever seeing that. We, for plaid, pad placement, we do uh, double sequential where we work. So we have... Okay two different monitors so the first crew will come put just below the xiphoid process and then the second and uh left scapula and then the next crew that comes in after the third shock will we'll put them whatever this is and no one can see me pointing to where i am right here yeah <laughs> <laughs> top right yes top right and yes yeah. just tradi- like the typical anterior placement yeah. Right. yeah so you guys are involved in a study then that's not that's done you guys are now it's just you, a you protocol right on very cool. Um, so, yeah, we play stat, pla- stat pads. Um, obviously, the whole goal with each of these steps is the m- absolute bare minimum interruption in mm-hmm. compressions because mm-hmm. that's super important. Yeah. Um, I remember J- uh, Joe saying, nothing drums compressions, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have that on, is there a pause button to analyze or to shock or anything like that? Or does it, is it just continuous? Nope, it's just continuous. It has a, um, you, you, basically have your compressor stop briefly and um the uh when he's off the chest for just a second you put that cpr feedback puck uh-huh. down mm-hmm. and then you continue your compressions um and so it's really like an interruption of maybe a second or two I, at max. Or you talking oh, i'm sorry about i was the... talking about the auto pulse is that what it's called yeah oh no these are just the pads we oh, haven't gotten the we auto haven't pulse. Gotten oh, yet. Gotcha. Okay. yeah uh, so step three is BLS airway, so obviously delivering BVM ventilations. Uh, but if we go to what we'll go to essentially here pretty quick is apneic oxygenation, where you throw a nasal cannula at 25 liters um, in their in their nose, and then you have that roughly I think it's 10 to 12. Mm-hmm. I could be getting this wrong. 10 to 12 millimeters of mercury vacuum that's created by the auto pulse device that actually draws that air into their lungs just enough to. It works great. So can I ask you a question on that? Yeah. Because that's all kind of new to me. So is that in lieu of the BVM? Um, No. It's, you know, you're doing what you can get to, right? And so if you have a BVM in front of you and you don't have a nasal cannula, then you're moving to, you know, whichever one you have. um, Where does, uh, and I hate to even say this, but where does the IGL even? IGL is coming. Yeah, Yeah. a couple steps. Oh, okay. Yeah. Continue on, sir. I apologize. No, you're good. You're good. So next is uh, placing the auto pulse. So 
we only place that device when the patient is considered viable. So okay. if we have someone unknown downtime found an asystole and we're kind of going through the motions, we're not going to put an autopulse on. Right. Um, it's uh, it's also got a limitation, um, roughly twenty six to fifty six inch chest widths. So we kind of say, roughly the little grandma is yeah. kind of the minimum, and the three hundred pound yeah. lineman at the college is about as big as it gets. Yeah. Um, and then once that's on, things are great. That, that device is so amazing. Just go get a coffee. Yeah, you have yeah. so much time. <laughs> um, we move into ALS or BLS airway placement, depending on who the crew is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, if you're an ALS provider, you're going to be looking for a tube. Um, and some prefer to just go straight to an eye gel. But we really emphasize, especially with video uh, laryngoscopes, getting a getting an ET tube. Okay. Can I interject here? Yeah. I mean, I'm 100% with you because, I mean, you look on my sleeve, I'm a paramedic, right? I am a paramedic. I mean, I'm not a five-star paramedic. You're wearing a sweatshirt today, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> what's, what's best for the patient? I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to do a, 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 an airway on a cardiac arrest, I want to do the tube because I went to school and I, I'm bored at these abdominal pink halls. I want to do an intubation, right? Okay. And so I don't know how many times that I've just let the person just sit there well, I'm getting all my stuff prepared. Even though I got ten people standing around me, mm-hmm. and they're not being ventilated, but I get the tube right. right. Why not just anytime we're going to put an OPA in, we put an eye gel in. We get all our stuff mm-hmm. prepared, and then when the intubator is all set to do it, pulls the eye gel. I mean, I don't think that's a bad plan. However, I think you are leading us into a great segue into. Oh airway checklist, which we're going to get into at the conclusion of this checklist. I think that as long as the patient's being ventilated, it's fine. Like if you're doing, like in in your old protocols, you would stay on scene for 20 minutes. That's plenty of time to intubate somebody. Right. As long as they're being ventilated in the meantime. Right. Um, If you feel like they're viable and you're going to transport and you you can do a, a tube without sacrificing sats or time. Yep. Or chest compressions, then why not? But I do think... It's risky to put some airway in, remove it to put another airway in because a lot of times vomit will follow or maybe you're just not going to be as successful the second time around. But anytime oh. I've ever seen anyone get extubated or swapping out an airway. It just doesn't work. Not that it doesn't work, but there's a lot of times there's vomit. Yeah. Like there's stomach yeah, contents yeah. that come back out. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, But then again, maybe... Most most places these days just go straight to eye gel. They don't even consider an intubation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's appropriate for either. Yeah, and I think it comes down to, I mean, shoot, if we're being really honest, our 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 staff is so young, and they yeah. are less and less experienced. Yep. And so, if they can move to an eye gel and keep going, and I'd much rather have them do that and not sacrifice compressions. Throw an eye gel in. Forget about the, the tube for now. Yeah. You can do that when you have a more experienced provider on scene. Yeah. And move on. Yeah. Um, you got time. You've already put an yeah. NGOG in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the cool thing about our checklist is it does allow for some okay flexibility flexibility there. All right. I'll does your medical up. director have a um, preference? I don't know. I mean, I ventilation's the goal, right? right? And eye gels are safe. Yeah. I think it's a great I know first he's step. a big, I mean, as I would assume most physicians are, he's evidence-based practices right. yeah, is he's, he's key on. So he wants to see 
the data behind it, mm-hmm. each thing we're trying to change. Which right? is good. And yeah. if you take someone in the ER doing compressions with the eye gel, they're not going to immediately switch it out. No. Right. Unless it's not working. Right. Very true. Um, so the next step, and we kind of move into the ALS steps uh, here with cardiac arrest response. Uh, OG tube placement. Um, you measure and place the OG tube. Air is removed until stomach contents are seen. And, you know, I would say when people don't have this checklist out and they're running a code, mm. this is the step they always oh, skip. It, yep, always. This exactly. is, isn't quite in the yeah. the paramedic um, checklist right. in their brain. Right. And it's really important. It's like, it there's super data important. behind why we should be yeah. removing the extra air we're shoving into their stomach. And a lot of the private ambulances around here where we work don't carry NGOG. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. They're so cheap. Who cares? It's a quick thing. Um, anyways, after that, we move on to our IV or IO placement and medication administration. And so, um, and then the last step is, is transport. Uh, but the cool thing that I really like about this, this whole process is, you know, if you look at ACLS, you want to give your first medication in that three to five minute window of, you know, the second round of CPR, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, when, when you have a team of, you know, two, three, four, five people, um, and we, we actually practice with groups of two, groups of three, groups of four, groups of five, so that we know how it changes with um, each of those response models. Um, when you're on your game, you can get to this step, have an IV in, right around the time you should be pushing your first drug. Um, and the teams that were doing the best with it when we started uh, timing them and videoing them, they were ready to transport, had the patient on a gurney in the back of an ambulance from our training facility EMS room in just over five minutes. And That's so awesome. They're, they're, they're smoking it. And when you practice it, obviously practice makes perfect. Um, it's, it's very doable. Yeah. Um, and, and so practice really, does make perfect. And the good thing about having your checklist is that maybe you've practiced a bunch, but maybe some of the other people you're with have not practiced. Right. right. And so it puts everybody on that same level of yep. step by step. And it's right there doing. in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so checklists are awesome. And I think one of the things that we would emphasize on this podcast, if you're listening and kind of wondering how you can affect some change at your department, go do some research and come up with your own checklist that incorporates your current protocols and just organizes them in a fashion yeah. that can be easily replicated by the various providers at your at your agency. And, um, and you can make a checklist for anything. We have one for stroke, we have one yeah. for RSI, cardiac. Um, and I used to work with, uh, remember Mark Hostat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark Hostat was a Vietnam um, era a helicopter pilot. Thousands and thousands of hours mm-hmm. in a helicopter, you know, under combat, under fire, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, on life flight, you know, we would would get in the rig, he'd start up, he'd have a checklist out. He's done this thousands of times, but he still has that checklist out to make sure he does all the steps. Yeah. And I think there's a, you know, misconception that if I use a checklist, I'm a weak paramedic. Yeah. And I'm not as smart as I should be. Right. Should be memorized. And I shouldn't have to rely on this, you know, and I don't know a paramedic who treats a pediatric patient without a protocol out. Absolutely. Because you do it far off, you know, far yeah. fewer times in your career. And you also have that as kind of your, okay, yeah, I know what I'm doing here. 
this is the right drug. Yeah. You know, this is what the uh, Braslow tape says, blah, 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 blah. And we, no. we, we, we don't him and haw in some areas, and then we him and haw yeah. for yeah. a different yeah. patient. It's like, yeah. come on, we're better I, than that. I did not grow up ever using a checklist. Nope. It was memorize your protocols, know the doses, which is good, and you yeah. should. But at the same time, that's a very um, like single-person approach. We're all kind of type A. Yeah. Um, and so I'm in charge. Right. Which means I'm going to do this. But we really need to step back and bring the whole team in. And that's what a checklist does. It takes it from like a single person approach, like the PIC approach, to yeah. a, a group approach, which is how it should be. Yeah. yeah. That way everyone's involved. We can all bounce things off each other. In the ER, right? There's a checklist for the sterile procedures. There's a checklist for sepsis. There's a checklist for everything. And that's yeah. in a controlled environment. We get on, you know, on the back of someone's ambulance or a, a hill somewhere we mm-hmm. you know it's, it's not controlled we need something to kind of ground us a little bit yeah yeah and it it really does bring everybody into like center focus right instead of you're over there doing something and i'm over here doing something and center. we're just hoping we're all doing something center focus i've heard that before i just made it up nice yeah. nice surrounded by smart people <laughs> so that's a good reason why and uh, you know why we use a cardiac arrest checklist. Um, we have these cards with those steps printed out, and they're everywhere. So I think it's awesome. I've never done that before. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would like to see us do it more. And, you, I mean, you just talked about all the stuff they're doing in an ER with various checklists, and we, we need to be doing the same thing. Because, you know, I would say our most often, one of the things we go to the most is uh, we're in the back of the ambulance or treating a patient on some protocol, and then we look to our other fellow providers and go, is there anything else we should do? And <laughs> yeah. that's a great question to ask to yeah, get other people's, that, you know, right? uh, uh, thoughts and, you know, comments and concerns or whatever. But If they know what you've already done. Right. Or what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the problem with that is it kind of alludes to the fact that we're not going off of a checklist that we should be. And mm-hmm. I want to emphasize that this is for the patient that you've determined this is what it is. It's not. Right. It's not a, oh, I need to go down this checklist because I think this is what's going on. It's like, right. you know, we're doing this because this is what we've chosen to right. do, and we want to make sure we hit all these steps in, in mm-hmm. sequential order. Yep. Um, but I want to talk about your guys's airway checklist because it was. I want to try and get that pushed through our department. Well, if you it's look awesome. at the evidence, if you if you look up any study, which you can Google millions of studies, every no matter what checklist you're using, they all have positive outcomes, mm-hmm. whether it's um, first pass success rate, whether it's like um, better like peri-intubation phase, no hypoxia, no hypotension. It's always better to have a checklist. The outcomes are always better, mm-hmm. which is why the FAA uses it, why hospitals use it, because it is evidence-based. Yeah. Um, but it's a culture change for us to do it in the field. Mm-hmm. Um because it was never really pushed by anybody else. Right. Um, but we and did. And our pride gets in the way. Our pride gets in the way, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's like putting the IKEA desk together without the instructions, right? Oh, this is a new one. Let's no. go with this one. What are we doing? <laughs> Tell me about the IKEA desk. Well, it sounds like a personal experience. <laughs> I bought my <laughs> desk and I don't need those instructions, right? And then awesome. this drawer does not fit in the hole. Yeah. So. I had to go rework the whole thing and follow mm-hmm. the instructions. Yeah. I bought my daughter an Ikea desk as well. And I used the instructions, 
It's still. And I still put it together backwards. <laughs> nice. <laughs> if I had someone there to like right. bounce the checklist off, <laughs> right. maybe everything would have gone fine. But uh, anyway, to this day, it's still put together wrong. Wow. She has no idea. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I told her it's because she's a lefty. That's yeah. why everything doesn't quite line up. Blame her. Blame her for that. <laughs> anyway, um, back to the airway checklist. Yeah. So we work like in the... Our past lives, we worked in the arena of air medical. Mm -hmm. And so usually you're coming into a situation where you're always working with another agency that you've probably never worked with before. You don't know what their protocols are. You don't know what their capabilities are. So um, when you go into a scene and you're going to need to intubate, there's a lot of like organizing what we're all doing because the two of you, um, you and your partner, can't always do it alone, right? Right. once um, we started teaching this to all of our new hires, you know, it was like we were just kind of drilling it into their heads about all the steps we have to do. I remember being on scene once and I get in the back of the ambulance and I'm going innovate. <laughs> and this. it's a complete, was I with you? No. Oh, I probably told you about it. It was my department though. Oh, no, no. This is a different story. Oh, okay. We'll tell that one later. <laughs> um, but I get in, it's this rural agency and I jump in and they have everything ready. They're ready to innovate. And I was like, well, I'm not ready because I still got to get some stuff ready and we have to pre-oxygenate. The suction wasn't plugged in. Uh. The oxygen wasn't hooked up. The monitor was behind somebody facing the wall. Yep. And I almost got sucked into it. Yeah. And like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, let's let's, do it. Let's push the drugs. Yeah. People are pushing you from the outside and you want to get that done. Yeah. But after teaching so many cadaver labs and doing it step by step it made me stop and realize like okay do we have suction do we have you know and that could have gone wrong pretty quick yeah because nobody was watching anything if i had needed suction it wasn't plugged in then you're fumbling around for it the bougie had fallen on the floor you know so the checklist is really important just to refocus everybody and walk through it one of the things i've seen i would say the most common quote unquote checklist people do you can't even call it a checklist it's just the one thing they may do before they actually start the innovation process is my backup ready yeah and then once someone says yeah i got a backup here they're like okay game on and on with the innovation and um we are creating a bit of a uh false sense of um competency with video laryngoscopes Mm -hmm. in my opinion um because some of the brand new guys, that's all they've ever known. And so if they ever had to, I mean, what if that screen goes blank? What if the battery dies? You know, uh, obviously you have a intermediate airway you could throw in, but if you're going to innovate, innovate mm-hmm. and got to be able to do both skills. Cause I mean, we could do a whole thing on <laughs> we could, yeah. DL, VL, but. And what that checklist does is it, it, it takes over the ego, mm-hmm. right? So this person has two tries. And if your sets get down to this number, you have to pull out. It's not like this is my interpretation versus your interpretation. It's right here in writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I did I did uh, not believe in checklists, really, um, until I went on a call with your agency. And the checklist, I don't think, was used appropriately. Nope. Uh, however... Um, we had some discussion afterwards because 
it, you don't want to go through the checklist at the detriment of just leaving your patient there to languish. You mm-hmm. you have to still be doing stuff yep. sometimes, right? Yeah. While you're getting while you're going through the checklist, yeah. um, instead of like everyone stopping what they're doing and reading the checklist together from top to bottom, right? Like. From the top, meaning, is there an indication for intubation? <laughs> right. Like, okay. Let's move along here. The blood pressure is dry. So um, certainly when you have your checklist, there's certain things on the checklist that you want to have, like positioning. Who Crucial. forgets to position their patient? All the time. The majority of us. Me yeah. too. I right? mean, and we teach this stuff, right? Uh-huh. Um, because I was never taught that. Oh, I don't have to intubate under the semi truck. Right, I could move them to a better <laughs> yeah. location. No. Yeah, right, or in the bathroom. Like, yep. try to make your first attempt your best attempt. So positioning is really important. Positioning, pre-oxygenation, that just buys you some time, gives you yeah. some safe apnea time. It seems like that's a pretty well adopted thing lately. Is the pre-oxygenation? It, it yeah. is. If it's in writing, but then it's you get writing. you get in, uh, you know, you get on scene and. People kind of throw some of the stuff mm-hmm. out the door because they get the st- stress gets involved. Right, the stress takes over. Yeah. So positioning ear to sternal notch, mm-hmm. as Dan says, ear hole ear to ear hole to neck hole. To neck hole. <laughs> That's a Dan thing that I have in the back of my brain. And if they're a trauma patient, you can lift the gurney up, yeah. and they they want forty five degrees. That's really high. That's almost sitting straight up. Yeah. Um, but any kind of elevation of the head's gonna help you get a good view. Mm-hmm. Take that C collar off. Take the C collar off. Um. We talked about pre-oxygenation. So what does that mean to you? I'm going to denitrogenate them, which means I'm going to fill their body full of oxygen, get rid of all the nitrogen. And it gives us, you know, depending on the health, health of the patient, mm-hmm. gives us a lot of time. So nasal cannula as high as it can go? Or, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Nasal cannula high as go, non-rebreather for at least three minutes or mm-hmm. eight vital capacity breaths of the BDM. Okay. Which um, I which never is really awesome. knew what a so, vital capacity breath was. But <laughs> I yeah. guess it's full breath. Three big ones or eight big ones. I'll, right. I'll put a link to um, a pretty cool video we made a while back that defines in a picture what each of the uh, airway definitions are and oh. lung cool. definitions are. It's, awesome. it's pretty slick. That's one of them. Yeah, and um, while you're pre-oxygenating, you're get, that's like built-in time to go through your checklist right now because right. you're going to pre-oxygenate. Even if you're on the side of the road or it's raining out or whatever, RSI is not rapid. Mm-hmm. It right. takes time if you want to do it right and if, if you, you want, want your patient to have a good outcome. Right, because you may end up having a successful intubation, first pass success, the whole thing, but you've done things out of order or not in line. Or their SATs have been SATs 80%. Maybe they got hypotensive for a brief period of time. Right. So this gives you the time to take care of or at least try to take care of that stuff. Yeah. So you're pre-oxygenating at this point. Make sure you have your suction. Make sure you have a monitor person. And by Um, that, this is where I've had issues. You get, you know, 10 people in the back of that ambulance. You have your monitor sitting there. Just like you said, it's facing the other way or something. Everybody wants to look at that video video scope. What do you see in there? It's like, you know, we're watching a movie. Mm -hmm. And no one's watching the SATs drop. Right. The monitor tech is responsible for letting you know when you get to that pre-designated number. Okay, I'm pulling out at 94. You tell me when it gets to 94, heart rate gets less than 60. <laughs> so that's their whole job is watching that monitor. Yeah. And letting me know what's happening. Yep. I think, um, you know, most people do all these things. But having a checklist really does. You can have someone calling it out to you. Um, so we did position, pre-oxygenate. Um, one thing... During that time is like we're getting our equipment ready. 
not just say, is my backup ready, but what is your backup plan? Yep. My backup plan right now is going to go back to BVM because it's working. Yeah. My backup plan is a iGel. You know, my backup plan is going to be a crike. Right. Whatever that is, make sure everybody knows what your backup plan is. So when the intubation fails, everyone's not just scrambling right. to do Everyone knows what's going to happen. Something, yep. right. Right. And I've given my perso- myself permission to do that crike if I need to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dan, one of the things you told me that you were getting in the habit of towards the end of your career was putting a Sharpie mark yep. on where and you're going to make everybody the Everybody sees crank. it. Everyone knows where I'm going to do it. I've got a general idea where it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a big surprise. Yeah. I mean, I've done some cracks where people were surprised when the blood starts squirting out all over the back of the rig. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing, dude? Because I didn't tell them. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, mad scramble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, I think a lot of people don't remember to do is to resuscitate their patient. So important. So if you have a patient that you're going to RSI and you're going to give paralytics to, paralytics are going to paralyze everything, right? Muscle tone. Yep. Maybe your body is in shock already or maybe like the first stages of shock mm-hmm. and the muscles are all contracting to shunt that blood up to the core of your body. If you relax everything. Where's that blood go? Where's that blood go, go right. right? And any instance of hypotension in a trauma patient increases their mortality. Yep. Even just for yep. a, a minute. Um, so you really want to um, be sure and resuscitate your patient before you give paralytics. Right. And that could mean some fluids. That could mean blood. That can mean push dose epi. And those things, um, you know, if you want to have like a map around 65, maybe 70, depending on if it's a head injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to try to keep it there before you push a paralytic. Yes. I know that's not always possible because nothing's perfect right. in the field. Right. But you want to be thinking if you do not resuscitate that patient, you give them sucks, Things. they're probably going to code. Right. Right. They're going to lose their blood pressure, lose their SATs, get hype, you know, get it, hypoxic now. And so you're just creating all of these uh, bad outcomes. Maybe your intubation is going to be successful. Mm-hmm. But if you had hypotension or hypoxia during your intubation, that is not a successful right. intubation. And, and don't just say, I will do that. Get your get your push dose ready. Right. And even if it's on the border, mm-hmm. g- give a little bump. Right. A little bump. And the same thing, get your get your your uh, your pressors ready as well. Get your drip all set up. That stuff's cheap. Mm-hmm. Get it all set up and ready to go. Yeah. And if you have to do it, you just do it. Right. You don't have to go through all the steps to get it ready. I mean, follow your local protocols. Absolutely. If push dose epi is not in your protocols, maybe you should talk to your medical director about why. Yep. Yeah. Um, could you add it? Because I know that there's a lot of times where just a little bit of push dose epi keeps you from getting into that gray area of the hypotension, hypoxia, and mm-hmm. that peri-intubation phase. Yes. We use that a lot just getting the, from the, the ROSC patient from the house to the ambulance. Because we, where I came from, we most of our, our rigs did not have the, the Lucas or the autopulse. Mm-hmm. And so we would just give a little bump. Even though their, their heart's still going, they still have pressure, we give a little bump just so we can get from there, point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're kind of getting off doing- the... Are you doing that just real quick? Are you doing that if they're if they're in the borderline? Not yeah. we're not waiting for them to go down, right? You, when, you mean like their blood pressure starts to yeah, drop or their heart yeah, rate or something? Yeah, you can see the heart rate yeah. starts to drop. Yeah. Things are. And are you thinking mm-hmm. you're probably going to starting to drip on that patient anyways? Yeah. So you're trying to get them to the. Yeah, and we're just trying to get that. them in the back, you know, yeah. from the floor to the back of the ambulance because we work our codes a lot longer on scene than right. some agencies do. Mm-hmm. And when you say push dose epi in that case in a bump. How much are you giving an adult patient? 
Depends on how focused I am. Yeah, let's say <laughs> sometimes my bumps have been very, very big. <laughs> it's more of a boulder. The first time I ever gave push dose epi, um, my partner handed it to me, and this is like, I think we only had one to one thousand epi at the time, so you had to dilute it dilute and then dilute it, it again. Dilute it. Anyway, we were flying somewhere, and he hands it to me, and you know, I I give it, and like I gave the whole thing. Yep. And so I, I gave him like you give him a milligram of one to ten thousand. No, no. So it was diluted. Or, so yeah, I, I ended one. up giving him ten mics, just like right off the bat. And I was like, Ooh, um, well, it worked. It worked really good. Yeah. But anyway, that was an interesting call to our medical director. Yeah. Who he typically answered the phones. Holly, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> and what is um, the normal dose? Uh, two to five. So. Um, so. Okay, that's... Which isn't... Actually, that's not a lot of epi. I'm just saying, when you... If you're going to use push-dose epi, just make sure you know how to draw it up and you yeah. know how to give it. Yeah, yeah. and that For is sure. smart because yeah. generally it's in one of those saline syringes where, you know, you give a drug and then you whoosh. Yep. Yeah, I've done that yeah. before. So. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, just going back to the checklist, if put resuscitation on your checklist, whether, whatever that means to your agency. Maybe it's a little bit more fluid. Maybe it's some push-dose epi. Maybe it's blood. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can't do anything. Right. Right. That's always the option, too, mm-hmm. is sometimes there's nothing else to do. Well, and I think we get so caught up in, you know, we're we're preached airway management, airway management, airway management. And while that is awesome, it we have to recognize and respect the fact that none of those processes are super fast. Right. Mm-hmm. And you need to take the time to set yourself up for success, the name of this podcast, um, so that the patient has the best chance of success with the airway procedure mm-hmm. you're about to do. And think uh, about it. If you have a patient with a soft blood pressure, maybe their SATs are borderline, yeah. do you need to s- paralyze and intubate them? You're gonna, they're gonna Can code. you just use a BVM? Yeah. that's. Can you just throw in an eye gel without yeah. RSI? Can you do ketamine? Can right. you yep. do Versed? Yep. Can you do mm-hmm. like, what other What is airway have? management for this patient? Right. Yeah. We have no way to resuscitate them. Let's say you can't do push dose epi. You don't have blood. You've mm-hmm. given your 500 cc's of fluid or however much you give. Yeah. Um, there's no helping the blood pressure mm-hmm. um, unless you can stop the bleed, please. Right. But maybe you don't need to push the paralytic. Right. Maybe you can do something alternatively to um, do airway management, which yeah. is only ventilation and oxygenation. That's airway management. Yep. However yep. you can achieve that. And walking into an ER with a OPA, BVM, and suction unit is great airway right. management. Especially when if you can say... This is why, right? They've got a soft blood pressure. I didn't... We can resuscitate them enough to do a paralytic. Yep. Right. Here you go. Yep. They don't care. Plus yep. their resident gets to innovate. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, so the rest of the checklist, um, we've got... Um, so then you have paralyze. Paralyze. Right? Um, and then after the intubation, you're going to do your post... Post sedation and pain management. Nice. So, which um, a lot of people forget about, but it's we super are very bad about pain management with intubated patients. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we're so relieved we got the tube. They're on a vent. Mm-hmm. They have decent vitals, and we forget about the fact that, oh yeah, they're like a multi-systems trauma patient. And yeah, that's a big owie. Yeah, and we should take care of that too because mm-hmm. they're still in pain even though they're unconscious. And just thinking, if you put someone on a vent and they start fighting against the vent a little bit because they're not sedated enough, that can cause barotrauma. Yeah. So not only can you, uh, you're not being nice, but it can also cause injury mm-hmm. if you're not sedating well enough. 
Yeah. And that could just be some fentanyl in Versed. Yeah, yep. that's it. Yep. Um, I remember going to 24-Hour Fitness once. This guy dropped a barbell on his toe. Wow. Toe hurt? Yeah. What'd I do? I gave him fentanyl, yeah. right? Yeah. But I'll stick a big tube down their throat and not give them any fentanyl. <laughs> right. Stick this blade in their mouth. Yeah. 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 I mean, even even our, in our protocols currently, it just says Versed. Yeah. It doesn't mention fentanyl. Nope. But pain control is very important along with the sedation. Yep. Which, if you don't have your checklist, you might forget. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Well, we've got a couple littler, smaller things, I should say, uh, on this to go over, but to kind of give people some more tools or something to think about mm-hmm. when setting up for success or using checklists in general. Um, so another very brief case study that kind of goes behind this very simple um, uh, tip, I guess I would give people, is we had a, a call in a rural part of our, our district for a gentleman with a stroke, uh, stroke-like symptoms, I should say, but he ended up having uh, some pretty severe CHF, and we had to work on intubating him and getting a bunch of stuff done. Um, so we're getting me in the back of the ambulance, we're transporting, and uh, I'm with one other paramedic in the back, and this person is yard sailing the ambulance with everything they're opening, oh, no. just creating a mess. <laughs> were you working with me that day? No, oh, no. Okay. And... Um, <laughs> I, I hate messes. Like yeah. I, I, I get anxious. Uh, I feel like I a weight you, on my shoulders when, when there's messes around. So um, I'm not in charge, though. This guy is the lieutenant on the crew, and he's doing his thing. And uh, he's at the airway. Uh, the patient's been intubated successfully, and he drops the BVM. So at some point, he drops the BVM he opened and had sitting out. And none of we we can't find it. It goes in that black hole. It, it's in a black hole. Yeah, there is so much garbage, and wrappers and everything else around that we can't we can't find this thing. Uh, it's it's literally gone. And so um, I'm watching this patient, you know, because the monitor's going Bing, Bing, oh, Bing. And it's like, hey, boss, uh, this patient's desatting, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And I'm like, just grab another BVM, and he's so set on finding the one that he lost. The patient desats into the, you know, very bad zones and goes into VTAC. Oh, boy. And I'm finally screaming, grab the, the peed BVM. I don't, it doesn't matter. We right. need to get this person some air. And so we end up grabbing a peed BVM and bagging them to the, uh, the ER. And thankfully getting the patient some air corrected their VTAC. Um, but we were, you know, seconds away from <laughs> defibrillating them. Oh man. And that was such a good example. And luckily no untoward outcomes for the patient, but, um, the, the rule that I tell all of my interns and, uh, guys on my crew is we have a clean zone when we, in the back of the ambulance, mm-hmm. it's not, um, it's not something, it's not okay to be messy back there because we don't have that luxury. Um, and so when you un, when you open anything, um, take a rubber band off something, open up a plastic wrapper of any sort, all that trash goes behind you. And so each seat, um, the bench seat, the captain's chair, the CPR seat, they all have that little crevice back there between the seat cushion yeah. and the wall of the ambulance your trash goes behind you and you stuff it down. Obviously, if it's a sharp, yeah, you're putting yeah, it in a sharp right, container. Right. <laughs> um, but that way, none of the trash ends up on the patient and it certainly doesn't end up on the floor where 
the black hole of nothingness opens up and swallows up all the stuff that you're going to be hunting for if you drop it and you need it. And so there's the lesson. Clean zone. Clean zone. Put all the trash behind you. That's Um, so true. Jeez, I wish I listened to this 30 years ago. I know. I know. I'm I'm thinking back to like all the times of intubating in the back of an ambulance and that little... Uh, like tray area, yeah. and like the radio, yeah, yeah, yeah. the airways. Oh, up. it just fills up. It fills up with like gloves and yeah. drinks or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. personal stuff. And then like garbage goes there, but that's where your suction is, and yeah. that's where your nasal cannula gets plugged. That's where the oxygen is, you yeah, know, all yep. the good things. But yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I used to always throw stuff in the wheel well, that's a good but idea. it's harder to get there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Just kind of lob it. Yeah. yeah, that would work too. Um, but while you're working, I like the idea of just throw it behind you. Oh. And the helicopter is horrible. Remember, oh. just all be it. The, your oh, feet. Imagine. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh, yeah. You mix yeah. that with the blood and, you know, the But going from it. the ambulance to the emergency room, they're, they're really messy. Yeah. I was like, why are we throwing stuff on? There's giant garbage cans here. Right. Why are you throwing stuff all over the floor? But, you know, yeah, of course, I got into it, too, and it was yeah. pretty fun, actually. But then if you drop something in there, you can just get a new one. Mm-hmm. But not in the ambulance. You're, like, no, you're minimal uh, equipment. Totally. Um, the next one was a one that you guys brought up this morning, which I thought was awesome. Uh, <laughs> the setting yourself up for success is knowing how your equipment works yes. and uh, how to actually build it if need be. Uh, and the example was a nebulizer in CPAP. Yeah. And they're all different. Like if you're yeah, working with another agency and maybe yeah. you're in the back of their ambulance and they've got a different nebulizer, mm-hmm. um, you need to know how it hooks up to your vent. Yeah. Or use your own. That's that's how it is where we work is the ambulance has a different one than we have. Mm-hmm. And so I was going off the ambulances and I learned two days ago how ours work and I've only been there seven months. So yeah, bad me. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean. But it, you don't use CPAP that much and you certainly don't always nebulize when you use the correct, CPAP. Right. But when you yep. need it. <laughs> you need it, you need right? It, yeah. Right? Especially on a vent where you can measure pressures. Right. If your pressures are super high, you're not going to ventilate that person because it's going to cut itself off. Right. During that inhalation period. And so I think one of the things that we talked about, and this was not my idea, but it was someone at my department's idea, and we've been doing it ever since. When you have something mission critical for those rare occasions that you actually need them, and mm-hmm. you probably haven't looked at it, you know, uh, we created a little diagram and, on, and the, uh, a label on top of a big Ziploc bag, and we pre-build those mm-hmm. components. So... The T set that you need to build for your nebulizer into your CPAP is all set up and ready to go. And we have like three or four of them built in Ziploc bags uh, with a diagram of, you know, in case it falls apart or something, yeah. mm-hmm. um, of what to look for. But again, it's a version of a checklist. It's, yeah, you it's know, perfect. I'm, I'm at this step. Oh, okay. I got to make sure that these four things are put in the right spot so that I can do this, you know, next uh, intervention. But have you ever been sitting like, well, I come from long time ago, the private ambulance world where we would post. Yeah. And I'll never forget. I was sitting there with my partner one day. I was like, you know what? I haven't paced anybody in a while. (laughs) Like, how do you, like, I better go refresh my memory. So we get back there and go through it. No shit. The next call was a pace somebody. (laughs) And I was like, because it took us a while, a couple minutes to fumble through it and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's how it works. You know, Uh, mechanical. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not something you do very much. No. And I couldn't, I was just like, you. sometimes you get that for that. If you ever get that weird, I haven't done CPAP in a I while. I know, right? Yeah. You should Magically. probably yep. go and check it out. But there are certain things that we 
think we know how to do and then we get to fumble it around put it together yeah or even like pediatric dosages totally um, same thing many times like going on a pediatric seizure i walked in on scene once and the paramedic was getting pulling up the versed and just sitting there staring at the syringe and then yeah. the vial and then Uh-oh. just turned around and handed it to me mm-hmm. <laughs> like you Make just kind of yeah, yeah you just kind of you think you know and then yeah. if you don't and i think yeah. that's the the lesson there is it's one thing to know you know oh the dose is 0.1 milligrams per kilogram right what does that look and like and then it's like oh wait how do i draw that up yeah have you ever dosed fentanyl yeah. pediatric fentanyl from our 100 mics mm-hmm. and 2 mils it concentration is not easy. it's no. very difficult yeah, yeah. you need yeah. Water it down and everything else. And yeah. Once you get into like zero point two five, mm-hmm. you're kind of screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and think about you know if we're sitting here talking about it and I got out the CPAP or the fentanyl right now, mm-hmm. I'm I'd fumble through it, but I'm not under any stress right now. Think about being under stress. Yep. I'm. It's going to really narrow my my it vision. Will. Yep. Mm-hmm. So get that stuff out and look at it. Yeah. Other things setting yourself up for success. Um, just personally, is I'm really bad at remembering to eat mm. in the morning because I'm so busy doing things. Yep. I get to where I'm going or I get signed into work and I'm like, I'm starving. Yeah. yeah. And then you know you're not going to eat for a couple more hours. Yep. So, you know, even just taking care of yourself. Self-care. Making absolutely. sure you do your inventory mm-hmm. on yep. your rig. Make have sure you have all the things you need to do. Bars. Yeah. Those are huge. Yeah. Guys, that's it. We hit all the stuff we were going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested to, to see what other people do to yeah. set themselves up for success. Yeah, feel free to email us. Um, give us a phone call. We'd love to chat with you guys about what's going on in, in your neck of the woods. And you what, take uh, phone calls? Yeah, yeah, if people want them. Yeah, they can call us. He, he doesn't answer call my you. phone calls, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll answer yours. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should change your number. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't this Dan? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Uh, he answers my phone calls. Yeah, of course yeah. he does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Holly's much more pleasant in general. Oh yeah. wow! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's leave it there, and uh, I believe we're going to have Ramsey back on the next episode yeah. next month. Sounds so, uh, perfect. That'll be good. Should be fun. We'll talk about more case studies. Perfect. All right, guys. See you then. Later. <laughs>